family always calls you Chuck. And suddenly you hear, you, you hear your mother call Charles Edward. You probably know you're in trouble. If you run into a friend and give him the friendly, hey, good to see you, how's it going? And in response you hear, you and I need to talk. You might guess you're in trouble. Last week we noted how the apostle Paul always greeted the recipients of his letter. Paul an apostle to the church wherever, grace and peace. But what we didn't mention is that there's a little bit more to that salutation. He goes on always to say, I thank God for you. For this and that and this and enumerates what he's thankful for. We read that just this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle to the church at Corinth, grace and peace. I always thank God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you wait for the Lord Jesus. It's characteristic of the apostle Paul's epistles to add to his salutation a word of thanks and a word of encouragement. But as we read in our text this morning, we hear quite a different greeting coming to the Galatians. Oh, it starts, Paul, an apostle to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace, as we saw last week. But then just when we would expect to hear a word of thanksgiving and encouragement, listen to what our text says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have said already, so, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you, a gospel other than what you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. It sounds like the apostle is not happy with the church, churches in Galatia. Though the church in Corinth seemed to be the most messed up church that the Apostle Paul ever wrote to, he nonetheless was thankful for them and encouraged them in what God was doing there. But for the Galatians, he had only astonished indignation and solemn warning. Paul obviously considered the Galatian problem to be more serious than all of the issues of the church at Corinth the division the immorality the worship irregularities but the galatian problem struck right at the heart of the gospel so let me suggest two truths that we get from this little introductory portion the first is this beware of counterfeit Gospels. Beware of counterfeit gospels. We live in a world flooded with knockoffs. You probably know that. 
counterfeit products, which look like the real thing, but really are illegal fakes. Purses, watches, clothing, electronic devices, shoes, movies, CDs, toys. They all look like the, like the right thing, the real thing, but they're knockoffs, they're fakes. Similarly, there are knockoff gospels around. Religious messages which use the same words and are peddled by supposed ministers. But knockoff gospels are not even close to the real thing. They are counterfeits. And in spite of their outward appearance of legitimacy, they are false. That's what the apostle was so concerned about. The Galatians were quickly turning away to a different gospel. But as Paul's words make clear, it was not different in the sense that it was another gospel of the same kind. That's what that word different means. No, this gospel was a completely dissimilar kind of gospel, a fake, a knockoff, which was no gospel at all. Beware of counterfeit gospels. Now, as people have studied the book of Galatians over the years, a pretty clear picture has come into focus showing what this false gospel was and who was peddling it. Now, make no mistake, these were not atheists uh, uh, telling the Galatians you ought not believe in God. Nor were these pagan, uh, pagan priests uh, uh, calling uh, the Galatians to come and uh, worship the pantheon of Roman or Greek gods. These were supposedly Christian teachers, Jewish teachers, coming from Jerusalem, the mother church. But what these teachers were saying was wrong. They said, your belief in Jesus is good. Wow, what a great teacher he was. How he loved us, going to the cross like that. But they said, Believing in Jesus is just the beginning of the faith. You know, Gentiles like you folks from Galatia have been coming to worship Yahweh the Lord for four generations. But there's a proper order to these things. The life of God's people starts with circumcision, like the Bible says. And then it proceeds to a life conformed to the law of Moses, which God gave. Or your faith in Jesus is a good start, but it's only a start. God's true people practice the whole law, as they have for centuries. Sure, Jesus has come, but he did not change what God has always required. Oh. Uh, that kind of sounds right, maybe. Certainly God has always had his people, and certainly God doesn't change. Hmm. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's the different gospel. For folks, it adds something to what Jesus has done. It says Jesus' work is only effective when we add to it our part, in this case, get circumcised and live according to the Old Testament law. 
Again and again throughout this book, Paul will argue against this false gospel from every conceivable angle. In the most forceful terms possible, he says, beware of this counterfeit gospel. You know, the truth is there are lots of counterfeits around. There's the Jesus without his death and resurrection gospel. These folks say Jesus was a great teacher, he was an ethical philosopher, he was a great human example, Ah, but not the savior of sinners. But folks, when Peter objected to Jesus talking about dying on the cross, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Believing in Jesus, but not believing in his substitutionary death on the cross, and not believing in his bodily resurrection, whatever form that might take, that's a counterfeit gospel. Though it's preached in thousands of pulpits this morning. Then there are the many grace plus gospels. The grace of Jesus plus the Old Testament law is one kind of this counterfeit. But there are many others. There are lots of people who believe in the grace of Jesus plus some church-made rules. In fundamental circles, man-made rules against drinking and smoking and such things are so fixed that some could not imagine a gospel that didn't require those things, at least. Back in my fundamentalist days, I recall talking to a friend and asking him if he could even imagine someone being a Christian, really being a Christian, who was barefoot, looked like a barefoot, long-haired hippie, with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and a can of beer in his hand. No. He couldn't imagine that that kind of person might be a Christian. Grace plus clean yourself up equals salvation. Oh, really? No. That's a counterfeit gospel. There's also around the grace plus the proper politics gospel. I know people who never separate their politics from the gospel. I know people who do not believe that it's possible for, that a Christian might have voted for Barack Obama. The other group are those who do not believe that it's possible that a Christian voted for George W. Bush. Jesus does not check political affiliation before he extends his grace to sinners. All these so-called gospels hold that Jesus that God is pleased with us, at least partially, because of how we have measured up, what we have done. But the true gospel says we are accepted by God because of what Jesus has done in, in our place, period. Beware of counterfeit gospel. Now, some of these times, these counterfeits come with impressive authority. Don't make no mistake, this is not just anybody saying these things. Paul warned about teachers who come claiming to be apostles. In, in, in Corinthians, he calls them the super apostles. And today we have many religious groups supposedly led by new apostles. In fact, some cult leaders over the years have believed that the true faith was completely wiped out, but God raised up our apostle and, and it's revived the true Christianity which, of course, is different than what all the churches believe. But, folks, there are no more apostles. 
They were personally chosen by Christ and given supernatural power to authenticate their apostolic office. So, so, if, so the fact that some gospel comes with some apostle teaching that doesn't mean a thing. Then the Bible warns us that even Satan will come sometimes as an angel, an angel of light. And sure enough, some false gospels claim angelic authority. Paul may have mentioned angels here because in the Jewish tradition there was a widespread belief that Moses received the law through the mediation of angels. And right after the New Testament era, the whole, uh, the whole notion of Gnosticism arose in the church, which involved uh, 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 many orders of angel, angelic beings, spirit beings. And then in the, 17th, in the 7th century, along comes Mohammed. And what's his claim? That the angel Gabriel appeared to him with messages from God, now recorded in what's called the Quran. Oh, they still believe Jesus was a great prophet. He's just obsolete. There's more. Mormonism believes the same kind of thing. They believe in Jesus, but they supposedly have newer information now, more than in the New Testament, for the angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith and gave him the golden plates from which have come the Book of Mormon. And supposedly theirs is an updated model of Christianity. Updated according to angelic authority. But make no mistake, counterfeit gospels, though they come with authority of apostles, though they come with authority of the angels, if they're not the gospel which Paul preached, which they received, which, which is, is enshrined in the scriptures, they are counterfeits. Beware. They are fakes. Dear people, counterfeit gospels are so subtle. And new ones are springing up every day. The only hope you have of escaping these false views is to know the truth very well. That's how they train people to spot counterfeit money, you know. They make them experts in what true currency looks like. So I call you to keep your nose in your Bible, to walk daily with the Lord in humble submission, to be on your guard, asking him to guard your heart too, so that you don't get deceived by these counterfeits. But then this passage teaches us a second thing. Counterfeits cost you. Counterfeits cost you. In the world of knockoff products, purses and watches and stuff, the original inventor or artist loses because someone's trading his or, in his or her good name without any profit to him. But for most people, it doesn't really matter whether you really have a designer purse or whether you have only have a purse that looks like a designer purse. It doesn't make much difference to you. But when we start talking about counterfeit money, we all get burned. When you sell something or do work for someone and get counterfeit money in exchange, you just got robbed. For that counterfeit currency has no real value. It is fake. In a similar way, a counterfeit gospel is costly. And here Paul speaks of two ways in which that's true. True 
groups of people who lose when the gospel is counterfeited. First, the Galatian believers lost, as churches always will lose when the counterfeit gospel comes. By allowing themselves to be led astray into a false gospel, think of what they did. They alienated the gospel, the, the, the apostle Paul, who brought them the true gospel, incurring his astonishment and his rebuke. And they muddied the waters for those around them, creating confusion in their church. Can you just imagine if a large group of people here in Weiser Lake Chapel suddenly decided they no longer believe what we believed here. They no longer respect the teaching that has gone on from this pulpit for decades and decades. Can you imagine the confusion and turmoil? Accusations flying back and forth, families being divided, familiar truths now being censored, craziness being taught. That was life in the Galatian churches. But the cost was even higher than the disruption of their peace. According to verse 6, to abandon the gospel is to abandon the Lord who called you. The Apostle Paul uses a very strong word for this. He's a word, he used a word that's used for military deserters. To add something to the gospel doesn't just tweak your theology. It makes you a deserter in God's kingdom. It turns your back on your calling. And folks, the calling of God to the grace of Jesus is not just empty words. We spoke about this last week, about using the example of Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. There is power in God's calling the power that raises us from the death of sin and gives us new life in Christ. Paul writes in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. So to turn away from the simplicity of the gospel is to desert the Lord himself and to unplug from the power of God to save you in favor of doing it yourself. Counterfeit gospels cost you dearly. But then secondly, those who teach counterfeit gospels also lose. The teachers lose. The Apostle Paul has no love lost for these false teachers. They are the ones responsible for throwing the church into confusion after the gospel that he brought to the Galatians brought peace and reconciliation. John Stott writes, the Galatian congregations had been thrown by the false teachers into a state of turmoil, intellectual confusion on the one hand, and warring factions on the other. These false teachers were perverting the gospel, which Christ himself had delivered to Paul. Actually, the word is even stronger than pervert. They were reversing the gospel. And of course, that's always true. If you change the gospel, it's no longer the gospel. It may have familiar sounding words, but it's not the gospel. The power of salvation, which once held us, is suddenly gone. Counterfeits are costly. Oh, but Paul was not the problem for these false teachers. 
God himself was the problem they would have to deal with. Whereas the Apostle Paul made clear to distort the gospel, to preach another gospel, is to incur eternal condemnation. It didn't matter who you are. You might be someone claiming to be an apostle. You might be an angel. You might be Paul himself coming back saying, I've thought better of this. It doesn't matter who you are. If you distort the gospel of Christ, thus casting people their salvation, you will be forever damned. If God the Father loved the world enough to send his Son to save us, and if Jesus loved sinners enough to give his life for us, then neither the Father nor the Son will stand idly by and allow the good news of this gospel to be twisted and distorted and reinvented and changed until it's negated. God will judge those who do such things. Their counterfeit gospels will cost them their souls. I tell you, there's nothing I would less want to be than a false teacher, a pseudo-evangelist, a proclaimer of counterfeit doctrine. For not only is it lifeless and useless for lost and dying people, it is deadly to the saints, and it is eternal condemnation to those who preach it. The counterfeits are costly. In the final verse, verse 10, the apostle adds a little interesting comment. If I might just paraphrase, he says, so you still think I'm trying to be a crowd pleaser? Apparently Paul was being accused of preaching salvation by grace because that's what people wanted to hear. Now we know about that. We have lots of crowd pleaser preachers around today. But none of them sound like Paul. Have you ever noticed that? None of them are being so radical as to say there's only one gospel. And you can't even tweak it without destroying it. And if you add to it, even add the best of things, the law of Moses, it's no longer grace. And therefore it's heresy. And certainly none of the crowd crowd pleasers are saying that you will be condemned if you trifle with or market such a counterfeit gospel. No, that's not what crowd pleasers sound like, is it? Paul clearly was not one of those. All of which is a way of getting this into the next passage that we'll talk about next time. But this morning I just leave you these two simple points. Beware of counterfeit gospels. They are everywhere. They are springing up new all the time. For people persist in adding something to the once-for-all finished work of Jesus. Something which we must do to make ourselves savable. But that's a counterfeit gospel. And secondly, counterfeit gospels will cost you dearly. They cost God's people the peace and unity of the church. They tempt us to abandon Christ in favor of some attempt to save ourselves, and counterfeit gospels cost those who teach them their very souls. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we tend to not be very precise in our thinking these days. We shoot from the hip. 
We want everything in 30-second sound bites. We don't want to think. We don't want to analyze. And in Christian circles, Lord, if it mentions Jesus or it sounds spiritual, we assume that's true. So we study Galatians together, Lord, help us to understand that there are counterfeit gospels out there that talk about Jesus, that talk about the Bible, that talk about God's law, that talk about faith and obedience, and that are really man-made systems of ways to try to save ourselves. Jesus plus something. Oh, Lord, give us such a great understanding of your unfathomable, sovereign grace that we're humbled in the dust and receive it in joy, not thinking for a moment that there's anything we might do to add to it. Preserve our souls. Keep us from believing or saying things that are not true. Especially in this most serious arena. The proclamation of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.